Well, it's been a few weeks since we were in the Ten Commandments, but we have been looking at that together over the past few months. Uh, not, not just looking at the Ten Commandments as a list of do's and don'ts, which most people do think about it that way, but that they are God's prescription for helping us build healthier, stronger families. If we want to know best how to live in the world that God has made and how to best raise our children and how to best love our spouses, there's nowhere better to turn than to the Word of God. Now, the first four commandments we looked at dealt with our relationship with God. If we're not living in a right relationship with God, we really can't live in right relationships with other people. That relationship with God is foundational to who we are and to everything that we do. And then the, the, the last six of the Ten Commandments deal a little bit more specifically with our relationship with other people in society. And the first relationship that God dealt with was the family relationship, with the, the parent-child relationship. And so that, that uh, commandment tells us that we have got to honor and obey our parents, and by implication, parents, we should be honorable people to our children. And then God give, gave us a command about respecting life and respecting the image of God within every person, the command not to kill. And then we looked at the husband-wife relationship and how God would have us to build an affair-proof marriage. So that's where we've been so far, just to kind of re refresh our memories and catch us up. And today we pick up with the Eighth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Now, like the previous commandment on adultery... And the commandment before that on murder, we can sort of read this commandment and just kind of pass right on over thinking, well, I don't have to worry about that one. That's not one that I've broken. I mean, I don't think anybody, any of us in this room would consider ourselves to be thieves. And I would say most of us know each other well enough to trust that we're not going to rob from each other. You know, ladies, if you leave your purse in the pew to run out to the restroom real quick, you're not really worried that your neighbor's going to go through your stuff and steal something. But let's consider some other ways in which we might be in danger of breaking this commandment. What are some ways that we are guilty of stealing? It's amazing, really, the number of ways that we steal. Now, the dictionary simply defines steal as to take something without permission. Okay, we can all get on board with that definition, I think. It, to steal is to take something that's not yours without permission of, of whoever it actually belongs to. And naturally, we know that breaking into someone's house and stealing their jewelry is wrong. Can we agree to that? Oh, are you sure? Can we agree to that? Okay, good. Making sure. Making sure. I think we all would agree that carjacking someone at Walmart is not a good thing. I think most children know that you're not supposed to steal a pack of gum at the convenience store. We, we know these things. But people have an uncanny ability to devise clever ways of ripping off or defrauding others while convincing themselves that they're not stealing. We have an uncanny ability to do that. Now, for time's sake, we're just going to look at six. Six slightly less obvious ways that we might be guilty of breaking this command. The first is deceiving customers. Deceiving customers. Now, for those of you who own a business or you work at a job or you deal with customers... I want you to know this isn't just a modern temptation. This isn't just a modern-day problem. This was a problem 3,000 years ago. The prophet Amos 
addressed the dishonesty of merchants in ancient Israel. He talked about how they would skimp on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales. It's kind of reassuring to know that people really haven't changed much in 3,000 years, isn't it? I mean, this is the same kind of problem that we deal with today. Deceitfully skimping on the measure, boosting the price, using dishonest scales is just as real a problem today. Maybe it's the repairman making an unnecessary repair, or a doctor prescribing an unnecessary test, or a salesman skimping over that fine print, or when you're selling a car, you know, you just you have an old car, you've put it up for sale, and you failed to mention that pesky oil leak, or that the transmission is getting a little stiff. These are all forms of stealing, deceiving a customer. Another way we might do it is kind of the flip side, defrauding employers. Employee theft is a huge problem in the United States. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce estimates that 75% of all employees, 75% steal at least once and half that number repeatedly steal from their employer. The chamber also reports that one of every three business failures is the direct result of employee theft. That blew my mind. One in three. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, employee dishonesty costs American businesses in excess of $50 billion every year. So you may think that taking home that stapler or misusing a company car isn't that big of a deal, but just think about how you might be contributing to a situation that could end up costing someone a pay raise down the road or worse, costing somebody their job. And I'm not just talking about padding your expense account or taking home extra supplies or merchandise. What about when you waste time on the job? How is that stealing? Right? I mean, somebody is paying you for your time and you're not putting in the time they're paying you for. Maybe that's coming in a little late. Maybe it's leaving a little early. Maybe it's just, you know, wasting hours on Facebook. God says that's stealing. Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for men. So when we're at work, we're to work as if God is our boss. Not whoever that man or woman is. And when we give half-hearted work, we're not only stealing from our employers, we're robbing God of His glory according to this. And we're robbing Christ of His good name. And we might even be robbing other people of an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. You see... Working half-heartedly is a gospel issue. Paul says in Titus 2.10, he's telling the believers there not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So just think about that. The attitude you have at work and the way in which you might be cheating your company of time or other things can actually make Jesus less attractive and can harm somebody's opportunity to come to faith in Christ. It's a gospel issue. Another way we can be guilty of stealing is delaying payments. 
delaying payments. In Leviticus 19.13, it says, Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. In other words, you've hired somebody to work for the day. At the end of the day, you pay them. You don't tell them, come back tomorrow and get paid. You send them home with their pay. In that culture, that was what you were to do. This seems pretty straightforward. Yet how often do we owe someone money? An employee, a supplier, a friend, and wait until the last possible minute to pay them. Or maybe you've been guilty and somebody's come up to you and said, hey, where's that money? And you've said, oh, the check's in the mail. Knowing full well you've not written that check yet. The Bible says that's stealing. I mean, it may not seem like a big deal to you. But when we live in a country where so many people and even businesses are living paycheck to paycheck, cash flow is a big deal. And whether they get paid on time or not can make a huge difference to whether they default on a bill or have a check bounce, and that can just lead them down a spiral of debt and difficulties. It's their money. They have a right to it. So don't withhold from them what is rightfully theirs. That's stealing. Another way we might be guilty of breaking this commandment is defaulting on loans. Defaulting on loans. In Psalm 37, verse 21, it says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Now look at, those, look at that juxtaposition there. The wicked borrow and don't repay. They take but the righteous give generously. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. You know, really it's tragic today uh, how debt has just become a way of life for us, isn't it? For our society. How many people borrow money even with no intention of ever paying it back? People max out credit card after credit card and then they try to declare bankruptcy. People default on car loans or their mortgage. How many college students listening to politicians maybe take out that college loan with fingers crossed that maybe the government will just come back later and just forgive the debt? But the worst loans that we can be guilty of making are the ones that we make to family and friends. I mean, if, if in one way you can think about it this way, if you lend your brother-in-law $50 and he never talks to you again, is it worth the investment? Think about that. Let that sink in. Seriously, though, loaning money to family and friends is a terrible idea. It is a bad idea. Your heart's in the right place. You want to help that struggling friend, that family member that's fallen off tough times. You want to help him. Your heart's in the right, in the right place, but it isn't wise. Dave Ramsey, and we, you know, we use his financial peace material a lot, he, he gives good insight on why it's okay to give money, but... Never loan money to someone with whom you have a relationship. He says doing so leads to broken hearts and broken wallets. Loaning money to someone really just kind of makes the relationship awkward. So don't do it. He says it's kind of hard to enjoy. He says Thanksgiving dinner tastes a lot better when you don't owe money to anybody around the table. The Bible's clear in several places that God expects us to help those in need but he expects us to do it by being generous and giving without expecting anything in return. Don't loan that brother-in-law $50. Just give it to him and be done. We also have to think about how many times we 
are on the other end of that. How often are we maybe borrowing from other people? Maybe you've borrowed a neighbor's tools or ladder. Maybe you've borrowed somebody's skis or their golf clubs or a casserole dish or, or anything, and then you fail to return it. What's in your garage at home right now that you need to go and give back to somebody? God says that's not long-term borrowing, intentional or not. That's a form of stealing. And then another way we can steal is by defrauding or deceiving the government. And I told Matt, I said, I think it's kind of ironic that I got sick last week and have to preach this today, because today's what? April 15th, right? So, you know, this, this one right here might kind of fall into that turn-the-other-cheek category. Because most of us probably feel as if the government's the one that's guilty of defrauding and deceiving us. And you talk about defaulting on loans and not making good on promises and not being good stewards of others' resources. Check, 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 and check, right? But the Bible is clear. In Romans chapter 13, Paul writes, This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Now, we could argue about that part right there. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, Paul says, pay your taxes. Now, while taking advantage of the tax laws and avoiding paying taxes you don't have to pay, that's good stewardship. I mean, God isn't asking any of us to overpay on our taxes. He wants you to plan and work to maximize your income. That's okay. But tax evasion is illegal and it's immoral. And it's breaking this commandment. Regardless of your feelings about how the government handles your money, it's stealing to avoid paying your taxes. Don't do that. And the final way we might be guilty of breaking this commandment is by defrauding God. Defrauding God. In our Old Testament passage, we read this. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. The Bible teaches that God's people should tithe. That means to give 10% of your earnings back to the Lord. And, and I'll tell you, the first 10% of what Julie and I make goes to God in gratitude for everything that we owe Him. Because without God's goodness and grace, we would have nothing. Amen? So I, I want to give back to the Lord as an act of, of thanksgiving as an act of worship, as a reminder to myself that I depend upon Him. And you know, God is so generous. You know, God could have said, I want you to give me 50%. I want you to give me 25%. But God just said 10%. He lets us keep 90. He gives us stewardship over 90. He just demands that 10%. Isn't God generous? And right here, God says that if I'm paying my bills before I give to Him out of gratitude for what He's done, I'm robbing Him. I read a story about a farmer who told his pastor that one of his cows had unexpectedly birthed uh, two calves. And he said, well, when I sell them, preacher, I'm going to give the proceeds I make on one of them to the church. Well, a few weeks passed, and he bumps into the preacher, and the preacher asks about the, the calves, and the, preacher, and the farmer said, well, I'm sorry to say it, preacher, but the Lord's calf died. <laughs> For some of us, it's always the Lord's calf that dies, isn't it? And, and this goes beyond just the tithe. 
I mean, any time we withhold something that God is asking us to give, anything, our time, our talents, any time we withhold from, from God something He is telling us to give, we're stealing from God. Giving is a statement of faith. God may want to work through you to provide for someone else's needs. He may want to use you to be an answer to someone else's prayer. So when we withhold our gifts, we're not only stealing something God has provided, but we're stealing from God the credit that He is due for providing it. We could go on this morning to talk about other ways that we steal, how we steal from from our parents, the honor that they're due when we disrespect and disobey them, how we steal from our children when we sacrifice them on the altar of our own self-esteem. You see, stealing is so much more than just taking someone else's stuff. It's about being a taker at heart. It's about having a taker attitude. And that taker attitude can penetrate into every relationship, especially our family and friends. When a spouse looks to their husband or wife to meet their every need. That's a taker mentality. So often, I find that when I'm counseling couples whose marriages are struggling, I'll hear one or both spouses talk about how their mate isn't meeting their needs. I have yet, Matt, to have anybody come to me burdened that they're not properly meeting their spouse's need. Nobody's ever said, Preacher, I need to come and talk to you because I just don't feel like I'm really meeting my... Wife's needs the way she needs to have them met. It's never happened. So let's take a minute to think about why we steal. Where does this taker attitude come from? You see, we have a taker mentality when we deny God's grace. Giving is the very essence of grace. God's grace is His unmerited favor to us. It is freely given It has to be freely received. God loves us. He blesses us. He treats us so much better than we deserve without really expecting anything in return. God pours out His grace upon us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. So when we steal, when we defraud, when we cheat, what we're doing is we're acting as if grace doesn't exist. We're saying, sorry, Lord, you just haven't given me enough. I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. People with the taker mentality believe that there's only so much to go around. The pie is only so big. Happiness and fulfillment, they're in short supply. So you better grab what you can when you can. And this self-centered attitude, it denies that our Father in Heaven is the giver of all good gifts that His riches are limitless, that He wants to pour out His blessings on His children. So really, having a taker mentality that leads us to steal and cheat and defraud, really it makes God out to be a miser. Another reason we steal is because we deny our identity in Christ. Could you imagine if Billy Graham had ever been arrested for shoplifting? Could you imagine that? I mean, it just seems ridiculous. It's inconceivable because that's contrary to his identity. That should be just as true of you and me. Stealing, cheating, defrauding. As Christians, we've been made complete in Christ. That means that we should be givers 
rather than takers because He is our all in all. We should never look at others with a selfish motive to gain at their expense. Instead, we should look at others with genuine concern for their welfare. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. See, to be a Christian is to be a part of the solution to the problem of the world's sin. We are part of God's distribution system to distribute His grace to a world that is lost in darkness. That's what the Great Commission is all about. It's about distributing the good news of God's grace to a lost and dying world. And that's why Jesus said that we can't expect to receive God's forgiveness if we're not willing to do what? To give forgiveness because we're part of a, of a pipeline, a distribution system of grace. That's who we are in Christ. When we find ourselves stealing and thinking like a taker rather than a giver, we've lost sight of what we have through Jesus. We've lost sight of our calling to distribute His generosity to others. We begin thinking in terms of what we don't have instead of focusing on the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. So let's wrap up by thinking about how we can overcome that kind of taker mentality. How can we begin to rebuild integrity to, to other people who are recipients and distributors of the gospel of grace? Well, the first thing we can do is make restitution when possible. As with anything that you're convicted about, you need to confess your sin, you need to turn from it in repentance, you need to ask God to forgive you, and restitution is a part of that process. It's a part of that confession and repentance. And a good example of that is Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus comes walking by one day, and he looks up in that tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, let me hear it. You come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Now, where that delightful little song ends is kind of right there. That's not even the best part of the story. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. That means he worked for the Roman government. He was a Jew who worked for the Romans. He was a traitor. And the way the Romans did that is basically he got to charge whoever he, whatever he wanted for taxes to his fellow countrymen, and he got to keep part of it, and then Rome only asked for a certain amount from him. So these tax collectors were among the wealthiest, most dishonest, and most hated people around. It was a scandal that Jesus would go to his house for dinner. And that radical act of grace on Christ's part transformed Zacchaeus from the inside out. He realized, you know what, I've been robbing God, I've been robbing my fellow Jews, and and, and this is not right. And he confessed, he repented, and he made restitution. He gave back four times what he stole to everybody. That is true Christian restitution. And Jesus says... Salvation came to his house that day. Why? Because his actions, his behaviors flowed out of a belief, a trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to do something similar. 
You need to tell God, Lord, I want to have a clear conscience before you and before others. Maybe you need to return something to your office. Maybe there's some things you need to pack up and ship off. Maybe you need to take your neighbor's ladder back to his garage. Maybe you need to write a check to the Holiday Inn Express for those towels. It happens. Maybe you need to write an anonymous letter with a money order and send it to your employer. Or better than that, own up to your mistake and take it as an opportunity to present the gospel of God's grace. It may be hard. It may be embarrassing. But you'd have a clear conscience. And that's a feeling you just can't buy. The freedom and joy that come from a clear conscience, from knowing that everything in your life has been dealt with, there's no greater feeling. Make restitution. Secondly, give God your full tithe. After God accused Israel of robbing him, he offered a way they could make things right. He goes on in verse 10 and says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me. It's the only time God does that. He says, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will be not enough room to store it. Do you know the Bible contains more promises related to giving than to anything else? And here God promises, bring the full 10% to the temple, to the place of worship, and I will bless you beyond your imagination. The fact is God says that if I'm not tithing, then I'm paying my bills with stolen money that belongs to God. If I'm not tithing, then the money in my wallet I've ripped off from God. And one day... I will give account to God for cheating him. Now, if I'm going to start off tithing, okay, maybe, maybe you're like, you know, you're right, David, I've been stealing from God, I've not, I've not been tithing. If, if you're going to start tithing, don't delay it anymore. Do it this week. I mean, what if I said, you know, God has really put me under conviction about stealing, and I've been going into stores and walking out with stuff, and I'm going to stop that in July. No, I would stop it now, right? So why would we do that about tithing? Yeah, David, you're right. I really should be tithing. I'll get around to it. If you're going to stop stealing, do it today. Stop stealing from the government. Today's a good day to do that. Stop stealing from others and stop stealing from God. Now, people can argue that tithing is an Old Testament thing. Okay, yeah, right. It is. The Ten Commandments are Old Testament, so does that mean you're going to start killing and committing adultery and stealing? No, of course not. And if you want to talk about, well, you know, David, we're under grace. We're not under the law. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, being under grace means that it demands more of the law, not less. Being under grace demands more from you than the law demands, not less from you. Jesus didn't give 10% of himself on the cross, did he? He gave 100% of himself. Grace means we give until it hurts. It means we give our all because that is what cost God to purchase us his all. The tithe is the beginning of our generosity, not the end. But before we're going to start talking about giving like Jesus, we've got to start talking about stop stealing from God. All right, so let's start, let, let, let's set the bar low, right? Let's stop stealing from God. Then we can start talking about giving the way Jesus gave. 
And the final thing is we need to work honestly so we can give freely. Work honestly so you can give freely. Ephesians 4.28, it's a great verse. Paul writes, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Why? So they may have something to share with those in need. This is the kind of internal change, the change of our hearts and minds that we're talking about. One author wrote about this verse. He said, God wants us to do more than take our hand out of the cookie jar. He wants us to bake cookies. And not only for ourselves, but enough so that we can give them away. That's what Paul is saying in this verse. Someone has also said that stealing is the disease that makes it difficult to distinguish between mine and thine. You heard that? But I would say generosity is the same thing. Generosity also makes it difficult to distinguish between mine and thine. But see, stealing wants to take what is thine and make it mine. Generosity wants to take what is mine and make it thine. Generosity is about working hard, not just to accumulate more stuff for myself, but that I have, might have more stuff to share with other people, to give and to be a blessing. You see, when the Lord is your shepherd and you have everything that you need, so why steal? Why cheat? Instead, you should be compelled to give out of the abundance He has given to you. So, when you're a Christian, you shouldn't want to cheat on that test, young people. But study hard so you can help others succeed as well. You shouldn't want to put in half-hearted work, but help your company and your employer to succeed. You want to bless your customers and not rip them off. You're not interested in cutting corners, but willing to carry burdens and count the cost of servanthood. John Wesley wrote this. He said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's how we can make gains without losing our soul. Spend your energy producing, not just to acquire, but to give. Not just to add to yourself, but to look to ways to add to the kingdom of God. Y'all, the Bible says in Revelation that dishonest and deceitful people will not enter heaven. That means you and I don't stand a chance. Not without a Savior. You and I are guilty. Maybe in different ways. But you and I are guilty of being dishonest. You and I are guilty of robbing. And that's why Jesus Christ took the wrath that you and I deserved on the cross. He took it upon Himself. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve. Have you ever come to the realization of your sin and the realization of God's grace and thrown yourself at the foot of the cross and begged for God's forgiveness? Maybe today you need to say something like this, Jesus, there's no way I can earn my way to heaven. Because no dishonest people are going to make it, and I have been dishonest. So I'm asking you to forgive me. Save me from my sins. Spare me from the wrath I deserve. I want to live in your way and your truth and your life. Have you ever prayed something similar to that? Jesus came so that you could put your trust in Him. So that He could help you to follow Him to the best of your ability and His strength to help you to live a life of integrity, not as a taker, but as a giver. 
Not as someone who looks out for their own interests, but also look to the interests of others. Maybe this morning you need to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. Maybe this morning you need to come as a Christian and just say, you know what, I've not been honest and I've, I have been a taker and I have stolen. Maybe not, you know, grand theft auto, but, but I've stolen. But from this day forward, Lord, I want to be a giver, not a taker. From this day forward, I want to be a person of integrity. Help me to make restitution where I need to make. Help me to bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. This altar is open for you to come and to do business with God. Maybe this morning God would have you unite with this church family so that you can be a giver right here, giving to the cause of Christ through your time, through your efforts, through the gifts and the talents God has blessed you. Let's stand together and pray, and then we're going to sing, and I hope that you'll respond as God leads. Let's stand together, and would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you are a God of grace and mercy, that you are a God who gives. You gave your all. You paid the ultimate price that we might be made right with you. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for being self-centered. Forgive us for not trusting you enough to provide for our needs. Help us. Change us from the inside out, from being takers to being givers. Teach us, Lord, how to work, how to save, how to give for your glory. And I pray that people would respond as you lead. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.